we were relating to some of the prognosticative elements of the Waiting for the Electrician uh, work. And, and the Waiting for the Electrician album uh, had a lot of that. We were talking about the plague in that, which, uh, which has in its own strange way become... Uh, frightfully true, and uh, of course the plague was a, it was an integral part of a show called Beat the Reaper, and Beat the Reaper um, ironically became the name for the uh, draft lottery, is that what they called it? when they Yes, the draft lottery in the 60s uh, in the Yale Alumni Magazine, because being a graduate of Yale, as, as Peter and I are both graduates of Yale, uh, we constantly get the Yale Alumni Magazine. I remember in the 60s, uh, the class of like, oh, I don't want to see, 69, or maybe 71, 70, I don't know, when, 69, 70, something like that, called the draft lottery Beat the Reaper, and they would have in their class notes uh, who whoever it was who uh, had hadn't beaten the reaper and who beat the reaper <laughs> had to go to nam and all that so that was a, a use of it that that we we found quite remarkable i mean to me the uh the elements the cultural effect of the work that we've done was another reason why i got such a kick out of it and recently when uh, president soon to be ex bush uh said uh, called called gore and clinton bozos uh I, of course, immediately thought of we're all bozos. I think we're all bozos on this bus because there they are. There are those two bozos going around the country in their bus. And who would have known that, you know, that this would, would come up? And, and whether or not we planted that use of bozos uh, in the public consciousness back then, which I think we did, because I think it was soon thereafter that people started equating the concept of a bozo with, uh, you know, the, some the dumb American character, even though that's where it initially came from. I think we brought it forward again beyond just Larry Harmon the clown, uh, and uh, so it was ironic to see that come kind of full circle as well. I had made a previous record with Gary Usher at Columbia Records called Duckman Parts One and Two. That is an embarrassing piece of work. I hope nobody ever finds again. But it was it got me started in recording and. At that point, I left everything to Gary. It was on our second album that we began to produce records and that I began to feel responsible, and as I've always felt crazily responsible for trying to produce. I always liked the production part of it and always tried to get involved with the engineers as much as possible. At that, On that record, I didn't. And I was completely unknowledgeable about the record business, about product, about sales. I was a guy who had lived my life that if an audience showed up for you that night and applauded you, that was great. That's all there was. And so I don't remember much of anything because I was not fond of the cover art. It didn't fit the material inside. It Everything about it tended to feel as if these were other guys in other worlds that were handling this thing and we'd made it and fine. So I didn't really care about it. I, I remember much more the the horrible deaths of Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King and the general horrifying social situation of the time. And it isn't until maybe the second record or so when we began showing a few little sales and then had to talk our way back on the label that it began to occur to me that having a record or making a record was really important or interesting at all. Well, I was very uh, happy uh, to have a record album out. I felt that the, the collaboration and the work and the the process of the work was very fulfilling. Doing 
radio. This is. Let me see how I can phrase this most coherently. Um, doing <clears throat> doing a record album with with you guys and being a, a an equal democratic part of the whole process because that's how we worked. Uh, there wasn't anybody telling any of us what to do or how to do it. We all just meshed and blended together and contributed uh, 100% of what it was that we felt was right at the time. The result, the process was a lot of fun. Uh, the process of being able to create something that was radio-like uh, in a time when there wasn't any radio that we as actors could do in the old style was tremendously satisfying and gave me a feeling of unique isolation and protection. It was, in a way, an ideal artistic feeling because uh, we, unlike painters or sculptors or people in the plastic arts uh, who can operate without an audience, we basically need to do our work uh, in in collaboration with or in association with other people or at least an audience participation of some sort. Well, here we were creating something for an audience that we did not have to interact with the audience to create. We could do it in the isolation of a studio. Uh, we were able to sculpt and create and paint images that would then be translated into mental images and emotions and feelings in somebody's head and the record would go out and do the work for us it was our performance i remember having this image of like flying flying discs flying saucers we'd send remember we'd toss these records flip these discs out into the world and if somebody spotted them then we became identifiable you know, flying objects and uh, and that was a wonderful feeling to be able to spend uh, time precisely honing and creating something that we didn't have to basically release until we felt we were satisfied with, with the or as close to satisfaction as we could get with the the sound of it and the and the p images that were created and the feeling of it, and then we we put it out there. And at the time, of course, I don't think any of us had. Uh, any degree of sophistication of understanding as to what the significance of releasing a record was. Uh, I just knew that it was something I could say, hey, here, listen to this. This is something I did with these guys, and we're the Fireside Theater, and this is what we did. And and I felt uh, very satisfied at my participation in this and in the end result. I thought it was very different from anything that had ever been done before. And, pardon me, and it was very entertaining and involving to listen to and I could be objective to it and uh, and that was wonderful and also we didn't need any critical reviews it wasn't like is the show going to run or isn't it it was done whatever response we got from it for all time it was done and if you liked it or didn't like it it really didn't matter because I've still got my copy upstairs and I've got it on CD and you know there it is you know so all of those things made me encouraged encouraged me to uh, uh, to in a way start to shift my focus from some of the other intentions that I might have had as an actor towards this creative collaboration which allowed me to be both well, to be writer, uh, quasi-director, producer, sound effects supervisor, musician, singer, uh, 
any number of character actors, straight actor, and besides to be working in collaboration with a like-minded group of, of men uh, who got a great deal of pleasure and enjoyment out of the process of doing this, because we had an awful lot of fun doing those early albums. The conventional wisdom is that the first four records of the Firesign Theater are the classic albums, and that they are the ones most worthy of note now some 25, 20, 25 years later. And I uh, inevitably have come to pretty much subscribe to that myself. I would put Electrician at the bottom of those first four. It's my least favorite of the first four, and... But there's something more to be said for it because, in a way, it is us not being concerned with the transitions between large blocks of material, but what you can hear on it, at least to my hearing, is you're hearing the transitions between very small blocks of material. And in an audio sense, there is some actual groundbreaking work on it. The use of the the way we uh, managed to use filters. I mean, we're working in, was it even four-track? It might have been two-track, that album. Swear to God, it was so primitive that people born past 1970 won't even believe it. Um, but we managed to use filters in order to make the phone conversations, in order to make you go from one perspective on a phone conversation to the other caller. Uh, we began to write interstitial uh, devices into how we did the uh, temporarily Humboldt County as to how, how we put material together in very short form, like literally from joke to joke. And in that way, to me, it's very important because it, it carved out territory for us right at the beginning that we were not sketch humorists. And that was very, very interesting to me and, and really important. Whether that is to a listener now, I'm not sure. And therefore, I'd put it as fourth on the classic ones, but well worth a, well worth a dollar. <laughs> well, as chance would have it, the last show the fire sign would do on Radio Free Oz was titled A Life in the Day, just the week before the release of Electrician. Shortly after, we debuted at a folk music club, the Ice House in Pasadena, another relative unknown guy named Steve Martin opened for us, playing the banjo and uh, twisting up balloon animals. Later that spring, we worked with Taj Mahal at the Ash Grove and <laughs> Blue Cheer at the Kaleidoscope, and we doubled build with Fahrenheit 451 at a movie house in Darkest Tahunga. Eventually, we made eight more albums for Columbia, and in various combinations, another dozen vinyl discs for various labels, but even if the world had heard no more from us, Electrician would still sum up America with a K as of that historic summer of 67. It was and it remains a record of its times, no less than Sergeant Pepper or Mrs. Robinson or sitting on the dock of the bay. And, oh yes, I know how long ago that seems now. After all, to us, in 1968, 25 years before, represented the dark days of World War II, the cheery tunes of Oklahoma sung by Crosby and Sinatra and the big band sounds of Benny Goodman, Harry James, Glenn Miller. A lot of troubled waters bridged between, oh, what a beautiful morning and the age of Aquarius. There is 
maybe even a greater distance between waiting for the electrician and Wayne's world. But to give people pleasure over such a period of time is a privilege granted to few, and I, for one, am very grateful for the opportunity. This program is by way of saying thanks. This is David Osman, and yes, I am still waiting for the electrician or someone like him. You probably are too, so later, babes, and stay groovy.